Hello, and welcome to another episode of Inside the Yale Admissions Office. I'm Hannah, and I'm a Yale Admissions Officer. And I'm Mark. I'm also a Yale Admissions Officer. And the sound of that theme song means it's time for another episode of Mythbusters. <laughs> and that also means that the one and only Jill is coming back on the podcast with us. Hello, Jill. Hi, Hannah. Hi, Mark. We are happy to have you back, Jill, to bust a few myths. I'm yes. excited to be back. All right. So if you are new to the series, here's the idea. There are a lot of myths out there that we hear all the time. Uh, people will come up to us and they'll say things like, oh, hey, I heard this, or is it really true that this or this or this? And we, of course, also see these kind of things crop up on the internet from time to time. Right. And they're usually not true. Uh, And there is no shortage of these myths out there. So um, we have a lot of work to do. We're going to do several more of these episodes. Um, We really enjoy giving out good information straight from the source. We know that a lot of features of our process, like holistic review, the low admit rate, closed-door admissions meetings lend themselves to a lot of speculation, um, especially among people with vivid imaginations. Right. We totally understand why almost all these myths are out there and often where they came from. And there's usually a kernel of truth in each myth. Yeah. It's been twisted or exaggerated, though, into something that becomes pretty unrecognizable. So as we go through, we're going to explain what's true and what is pure myth in each one of these. Some of the myths that we'll talk about today have actually come from listeners. So if you hear something that sounds a little bit sketchy, feel free to shoot us an email and we'll add it to the next episode. All right. You guys ready? So ready. Let's bust some myths. Let's do this. All right. Just like last time, we have six on our list that we're going to tackle in this episode. So uh, Hannah is going to explain the myth to us and uh, Jill and I are going to take a stab at busting it. Yes. All right. Here we go. Number one, and this is a big one. Our goal is to get as many applications as possible so that our admit rate goes down. Mm, Busted. <laughs> that is not how we measure our success. Uh, not even close. It's, it's not even how we measure the success of our sort of outreach programs. Um, it is not as simple as just sort of saying, let's get as many people as possible to apply to Yale and we'll deny as many as we can. No, but the theory behind this makes sense. You know, organizations that do college rankings, mm-hmm. they often include admit rates in their calculations and plenty of universities are really focused on their ratings. So some might imagine that it's all about making money from applications mm-hmm fees. Mm. But nope, that's not our goal. And the admissions office doesn't see that money. So uh, we're not really caring about (laughs) that. I don't know where it goes, but (laughs) certainly doesn't go into our pockets. That's for sure. No, no, no. So we're way more interested in the composition of the pool, like the strength of the pool, the diversity of the applicants that we're getting. And it's a lot more complicated than just the number of applications we're getting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we also seek students from all backgrounds. We want, you know, to get talented students who would do great at Yale to apply. So that's why we're doing all of our outreach. The goal isn't just to drum up applications. It's to make sure that we're kind of spreading the word about Yale to people who need to hear it. Yeah. And more importantly, whether you believe us on this point or not, um, what we want emphasize is that you should not confuse selectivity with quality or fit. I'm going to go ahead and say unequivocally, I think college rankings are totally worthless and that an admissions rate at a school is going to tell you almost nothing about how good a college is 
or specifically how good a college is for you. It's also not necessarily the case that as applications go up, it's harder to get in, uh, Mm -hmm. either because you have to be better than more students or because the bar is raised significantly. Right. Now, obviously, applications to schools like Yale have gone up, and uh, we would be naive to say that that hasn't had sort of any effect on our process, but Mm -hmm. this is my 15th year in admissions coming up, Mm -hmm. and the number of applications that we've received each year has more than doubled in those 15 years. But I can tell you, it is not, therefore, twice as hard to get in as it right. was before. Yeah. Again, right. it, it's easy to sort of run to these numbers and think that they're telling you a lot, but there's really not much information at the end of the day other than exactly what you see. Um, how many applications are there? A lot. Yeah, so many. <laughs> What's the admit rate? It's pretty low. Uh, pretty low, yeah. The, the specifics there of like how many is a lot and, and how low is low, they're not going to tell you anything. So do not focus on that at all. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. All right. So myth number two, admissions officers have a vision of an ideal applicant and we measure everyone against that vision. Busted. Like, ew. No. (laughs) No. That would be really boring. I don't even know what I would say if someone asked me, what's your ideal student? Mm -hmm. No, that's tough. Yeah. Well, I feel like people ask that question often. Often. And uh, yeah, it's... uh, it's never a satisfying answer that we can give. No. Right. What I want to encourage you to do is actually kind of turn that idea on its head. Um, we aren't in the business of trying to find students who fit some pre-existing mold of a perfect student. Right. Our job is really interesting and fun because we approach it with an open mind. Um, mm. All of us get really excited about students whose experiences and interests and backgrounds really haven't been well represented at Yale because we think those students could add something really new and interesting to the undergraduate experience. Yeah, exactly. And obviously a student still needs to be a good fit academically and otherwise, but we take a pretty expansive view of what that actually means. Like there's no limits to this. And we want to say again that novelty alone isn't what's going to make a student stand out. This idea that there's an ideal student um, can make applicants try to sort of squeeze themselves into a box or claim that they like things that that just sound like what you'd imagine a yeah. school like Yale right. would like, and uh, it never ends up coming across authentically or, or really working well. Yeah. We've said it before. We know it sounds trite, but be yourself. Yes. Uh, we promise that who you are is going to be much more interesting than anything you might try to project or, again, sort of imagine that a place like Yale would want to see. Yes. Yeah. Well said. Okay, myth number three. You need to fill in every line of the activities list and use every single available space on the application to stand out. Busted! <laughs> we don't expect this or give out some bonuses for students who use every single line or every single space in the application. Yes. Totally. Uh, and let's maybe take this in two different stages, right? So before you start your application, you certainly shouldn't pursue just more and more and more activities because you have that sort of spot on the application in your mind. Um, and stay tuned. In our next episode, we're going to talk all about extracurricular activities. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so when you're you know, when you're writing your app, definitely make the best use of the space that you can, but you don't have to stretch to fill things in. Yeah. So the kernel of truth here is that you should absolutely use the application space to your advantage. Um, We do see some applicants who just rush through the application and they miss plenty of opportunities along the way. You should also approach the application with this attitude that, man, it is going to be a challenge to condense everything that you'd want to share about yourself into the space in the application. So like, definitely recognize that there are limits to this and you want to think about each piece of the application strategically to help tell 
tell your story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. My favorite expression, though, is more is not better. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to dilute the strength of the really important things with a bunch of clutter in your application. So we want to hear from you and what's important to you. But more is not going to be the, the you know, better thing here. Right. Exactly. Um, the additional information section, I think, is a good example of, you know, students not really knowing how to use this. Um, only use it if you feel like there's something really important that's needed to understand the big picture of your application. If there is, if there are contextual pieces that are going to help us, it's mm. not a dumping ground for miscellaneous facts. It is not an opportunity to add in an extra essay. <laughs> no. Please don't do that. Um, you know, only use that space if you need it. That's why it's additional. Yep. Yep. Um, all right. Myth number four. If you've experienced hardship or trauma, you need to give graphic details to make your admissions officer cry and milk the experience for your benefit. Busted. Busted. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm really glad that we're taking this one on. Um, I have seen this be something that people just like well-meaning people present as just a fact. Right. And Mm -hmm. it's simply not true. Um, So I think the origin of this myth is probably the fact that the the media tends to run really popular stories about some amazing admitted students who've overcome big obstacles. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, But the kinds of things that make for a great news story, they aren't really the same things that make for a great college applicant. So I think people, you know, in communities see these stories and then they go on and advise students that, well, what you really need to do is play up the hardships and and even the truly traumatic experiences that you've had. And, And I think the thought here is on the on the one hand, you want to have a great sort of sounding story um, and that you, you know, specifically need to have overcome great hardships to get in. Mm. But like, understandably, a lot of students hear that and they're like, I really would prefer not to do that. That's really right, kind right. of not what I want to unpack in my application. No. And why am I having to sort of milk this experience in an uncomfortable way? For the benefit of an admissions officer I've never met. Totally. Right? I, I would hope that that kind of thing would make you uncomfortable. Yes. Um, we we want to affirm that that is something that, that shouldn't quite sit right with you. Yeah, and take that discomfort as a sign that, no, you do not need to do that uh, in order to, you know, present yourself in the application. Yeah, so let's be clear. That is not what a student needs to do to get into Yale or, you know, any kind of elite university, isn't it? Yeah, and and probably the little sort of kernel of truth behind this myth is a little bit more general. Um, Successful applicants are able to reflect and provide insights about their experiences, which is great. Uh, And we are interested in creating a student body with a wide range of experiences. And obviously learning about the context you're coming from helps us do our jobs as admissions officers. And sometimes the context that you're coming from involves some really genuine hardships. But we certainly don't expect that that's the case for everyone, thankfully. And we want to just say specifically, overcoming something doesn't automatically sort of earn you some sort of extra point Mm -hmm. in our process. A pitfall that I feel like I see a lot in essays is in addition to um, this being an uncomfortable experience for the applicant who's sort of going down this path, I, we tend to find a lot of essays that are sort of unnecessarily fraught. Mm-hmm. So the applicant kind of winds up raising more concerns about their ability to thrive in college than demonstrating something that they would bring to college. Yeah. So as an applicant, you should choose the experiences that you think are most promising and meaningful and revelatory in terms of the kinds of reflections and insights that you want to share. You should not think about sort of milking a traumatic experience to help your chances. Yeah, definitely. 
I'd love to add here too that if that's what you want to write about, please do it. Certainly. Sure. But yeah. We are not expecting at all that that is something that's going to be in your application because we understand that these are traumatic experiences that you might not want to write about. Uh, and that's completely justified. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, you've heard us here before if, if you're a listener. Um, you know, we have two main priorities when we're reading applications. What is a student going to add and what will they take away? Um, and that is very different from what have they overcome to get here or who is the most deserving or you know who's been through the most. Absolutely. Yep. yep, I'm glad we put that one to rest. Yeah. Okay, myth number five. Ooh, this is a good one. Okay, you need to take every available AP, IB, dual enrollment, A-level mm. course in your school to be competitive. Busted. <laughs> oh, people drive themselves absolutely bonkers with this one. So we are really happy that we're going to talk about this. Okay. So let's start with the obvious kernel of truth here. Uh, The rigor of your high school curriculum, it is absolutely one of the most important parts of the application review process. Um, I was a philosophy major, so, you know, this is sort of philosophy term. Um, Uh This is something necessary, a necessary but not sufficient criterion, Mm, mm -hmm. right? So, okay. Um, Having a rigorous curriculum, that is necessary. If you don't have that, things are not going to work out very well for you, but it's not sufficient. That is not going to be the thing alone that's pushing you in, even if the rigor of your high school, uh, your high school curriculum is sort of eye popping Mm. in context. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, pursuing quote, the most rigorous curriculum in your high school isn't necessarily the same as taking absolutely every single advanced class. It doesn't mean that you have to sort of load up on seven APs. And if then if your, you know, classmate has eight or nine, then suddenly you're at a disadvantage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We see this arms race kind of happening within schools where people just kind of try to one up each other in in a class or year over year. Right. Yeah, I think it's also important to note that high school contexts vary dramatically. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's probably pretty intuitive, but the fact that you know one high school could offer you all of these different APs, but then some high schools only let you take those APs if you're also taking these other classes mm-hmm. beforehand, or you can't actually do something you like, like music alongside this other AP course because they happen at the same time. And so we don't expect that you're taking every single AP, IB, or high-level course in your school. It's just not reasonable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that's... That's why we're always talking about context and trying to understand where we're coming from because we want to understand those sort of limitations and um, you know what what has led you to take the classes that you have taken. Right. So context plays into different high schools. It also plays into different experiences within the same high school. Um, we get panicked calls and emails every year from juniors and seniors when they get their schedules and something just doesn't fit. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that's life. We yeah. we all have the same limitations of space <laughs> and time. Like we, we get it. Um, and a Along with the fact that things might just not fit for whatever reason, there are probably lots of interesting courses that you want to take that maybe don't necessarily have an AP designation next to them. That's okay. That's great. Yeah, totally. So certainly, you know, be sure you're taking rigorous courses in your core academic subjects, but you don't need to obsess over the, you know, exact total number of AP courses. And certainly you don't need to stress out about, you know, your GPA weight and, oh, if I take this elective, is that going to bring my GPA down? Yeah. I think, you know, we want to select bright, accomplished students who have been resourceful and academically hungry, but not the student who confused learning with grinding out every single AP class and who played the the GPA game to get the number one rank. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think we can all say that we have seen students who are number one and who have taken as many advanced classes in their school as possible who are really, really compelling. Mm-hmm. Again, they had that sort of necessary but not sufficient element. Mm. We've also seen students who are in that same sort of position academically who are not compelling 
either academically or non-academically, mm, right? Yeah, like true. they're very accomplished, but the kinds of academic things that would get us excited about them, they're just not there in the file, despite the fact that they have really taken the rigor to the to the max. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So myth number six, this is our last myth uh, for today. Admissions officers won't understand the educational system in a foreign country. So if I am an applicant from outside of the U.S., I need to take as many standardized tests as possible and send lots of additional information. Busted. Busted. (laughs) All right, Hannah, we're going to let you take the lead on this one because you are our resident international admissions officer. But I will just start by saying that uh, I know for a fact that, Hannah, you and your colleagues who read International Territories, you get to know the countries you read really well. Yes. And you don't need applicants to add a bunch of extra documents to explain how things work there. Right, exactly. That is the whole reason we have international admissions officers who read by territory. Part of our job is to become, you know, comfortable and familiar with um, the the curriculums in that particular country. So you don't need to prove that you are ready for college in America by taking a lot of standardized mm-hmm. tests. Um, and I think this relates to the previous question as well. One thing that comes up a lot when I'm speaking with international students who don't attend AP schools or IB schools is, um, you know, they ask me, should I self-study and take those tests anyway? Oh, oh no. No, <laughs> please don't do that. Um, you will not be at a disadvantage for not having taken those tests. And also good scores on those tests aren't going to make up for poor grades in your yeah. school curriculum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so you, you don't need to do that. You don't need to go out of your way to seek out standardized tests that aren't already a part of your of your school curriculum. Yeah, I mean, I think this is sort of similar to what we revealed in our episode about transfer and Eli Whitney uh, admissions, which is that you've sort of been already listening to a podcast about international yes. admissions this whole time. Right. Yes. So um, don't imagine that there's some sort of wildly different process or a set of priorities for our international applicants. So everything you've heard us say before applies to you if you are coming from outside the U.S. as well. Yeah, I'm glad we're, we're saying this because we do get a lot of emails from students from abroad who say, oh, please do an episode on international admissions. And I say, well, every, every episode is <laughs> about international admissions. All the same rules apply and, and there's no, nothing extra you need to be worrying about. Yeah. Well, that was fun. We busted six more myths, (laughs) and um, we hope this was helpful. We're going to put in another reminder for you. Try to get your information from the best and most reliable source, which we're going to say is us. Yeah. Just diving into the depths of the uh, internet myth factory Mm. is not where you want to get your information. No, don't do that. (laughs) Yeah. And remember to be skeptical when you hear something about the college admissions process that seems overly simple or overly provocative or that just makes you think oh really that's how it works yeah and again if you want hannah and mark to bust another myth or two just shoot them an email uh because we'll happily take those on yes we actually read the emails and we are always looking for new episode ideas and we want to hear what's out there we want to you know what are the most creative and interesting new myths out there (laughs) we we love this stuff so let us know what what kind of ridiculous things you're hearing out there we want to know about it. Um, well, Jill, thank you for joining us again to Bust Some Myths. Oh my God, of course. This is always my favorite, favorite episode. Yes. Thank you, Jill. All right. And uh, Reed, thank you for lending us your office when we're in the office. We're going to be back in the office again soon. We're not there today, but we appreciate it, Reed. And uh, of course, thanks to former admissions officer, Andrew Brick Johnson, who composes our music. You should check him out at andrewbrickjohnson.com. If you have comments or an idea for an episode, drop us a line at yaleadmissionspodcast at gmail.com. And finally, remember that the views expressed in this podcast are ours and don't necessarily represent those of Yale University. Thanks for listening. <laughs>